Hey, this is Adam, and this is the Five Questions Podcast. Although I'm gonna ask a lot more than five questions in today's interview. I do have five main ones, but we're gonna branch off from there because I'm talking with Andrew and Amber Miller. Now, Andrew is a pastor at our church in the worship and student ministries areas, and Amber is part of our Casey Next leadership team for children's ministry. And they're gonna open up today about their marriage and some challenges they've experienced recently, especially with miscarriage. Now, my wife and I have been through this as well, and I know many others have, even though it's something we don't always talk about a lot. So I really appreciate Andrew and Amber being willing to talk about their experience and how God walked with them in a very difficult time. I hope it's a blessing to you, and if this really hits home for you, maybe you're struggling with a miscarriage loss, stay until the end for some really good advice from Andrew and Amber. So how did the two of you meet? Let's get into your story a little bit and uh, how you got together. Yeah, so we met in Indianapolis. I was an intern at a college ministry at a church there. Amber had just come back from a trip, a mission trip to Argentina. And so we got paired up actually leading a small group together, which was really fun as part of the college ministry at this church. And uh, pretty quickly I realized Oh, I'm really interested in her. <laughs> yeah, so we were coming back from a, uh, I went, drove to Ohio to visit a friend and got a flat tire and was stuck on the side of the road. And that night we were, there was going to be a party that I knew Amber was going to be at. So I was really excited to get back. And fortunately, I got my flat tire fixed, made it back. And then she wasn't at the party and I was bummed, but then she came in just a little bit late and I was so excited. I, I knew at that moment, okay, there's, there's something here. Yeah. Wow. You knew quick. Yeah. <laughs> it was an office rewatch party for our college community that's group. Right. So yep. oh my yeah, goodness. that was really fun. We bonded over the office. Oh, that's really funny. <laughs> that's awesome. Amber, did you know as quickly? I did. I was interested pretty quickly. When we started leading this small group together, I definitely noticed him. And then we were um, having a small group game night. We were just playing oh, ridiculous yeah. games. <laughs> we were leading the small group for college freshmen and we played one-handed, non-dominant hand Jenga and robber speed scrabble and all sorts of crazy stuff and we just had so much fun like and... normal boring games and elevating them to yeah. the next level <laughs> oh that's a good idea yeah. yeah and i was stealing his scrabble pieces and we i, I fell for him then i think <laughs> oh, no. that's awesome uh what were the first kind of couple of dates that you went on we did um i took amber out there was this little lake by the apartment where I was living and I had gone there and like laid out a blanket for like a picnic lunch or whatever. And so we were there and we were having a, a nice moment. And then all of a sudden out of the blue, we heard this like pop, 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 pop noise. And these middle school boys had decided to play paintball in the forest surrounding this lake. And so oh an army way. of middle school boys comes out with paintball guns, just spraying each other. And so we had to run, I don't remember what happened. Oh yeah. It, so it was a good, sometimes when something goes wrong on a first date, it actually is helpful because it kind of breaks the ice and Oh yeah, Andrew was so scared that I was gonna get hit by a paintball and I was just laughing. It oh, was she so thought it was funny. awesome. She thought it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a challenging experience like that makes it a date you'll never forget, right? It yeah. definitely was a date we'll never forget. 
Yeah. I remember the first date I went on with Jenny, um, I took her to a play and the play ended, I thought it was going to be like a fun, happy play. I, I liked going to see plays and, and yeah. uh, had a lot of friends that were involved in theater. But um, this play I thought was going to be fun and friendly and happy. And it turned out to be really, really dark, like kind of a sinister, like creepy and not just creepy, like a little messed up, a little like, ooh, this is this is dark. And that was our first date. But it all worked out okay. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's so wonderful. So how how long did you date before you started uh, talking about marriage? And, and how long before you actually got married? We dated about two, two and a half years um, in Indianapolis for a couple months. And then I moved to St. Louis to start seminary. Uh, Amber found a job actually in St. Louis at Sunshine Ministries working at the preschool there. Mm-hmm. And then halfway through seminary, we got married. And what was your early marriage like? What kind of challenges did you face in there? Yeah, um, we were, you know, we were working through seminary. So Amber was kind of a hero and and worked us through that, working really hard, just web guys writing. Uh, She worked for a website company and working at the, uh, at the, well, I guess you were done with the preschool by that point. But so Mm -hmm. there were a lot of financial challenges for us, just working through and trusting God with that, um, I remember one of our first years, we weren't sure how we were going to just buy Christmas presents. Just looking at our bank account, we are like, we just don't have money for Christmas presents. And um, a couple weeks before Christmas, a, like a magic check appeared in the mail that was literally just what we needed, you know, and I don't still to this day, I don't know who wrote it. I don't know who heard that we were in need, but just God's provision. You know, we've had so many stories of God providing for us in ways like that. But you worked too. So Andrew That's was true. in seminary yeah. and working like 20, 30 yeah, I was, hours a I was week doing too. a ministry job. So. so we were both busy and working. And then I also got a job working with at-risk students through mm-hmm. Mission St. Louis, which I really loved. But that was also a really demanding job too. So I think the challenges were just supporting each other in what we were doing and, and what God had called us to do too. Because yeah. Seminary took a lot out of you and yeah. Yeah. And your role, yeah, your role is demanding and not the safest even at times. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. supporting each other through that. It was that. really good though. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good, good role. It was a it's, good start to marriage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds like a very growing experience and a trying experience. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And, and good years too. I, th- oh, I yeah. think we were, we were blessed just to enjoy. Um, we had five years before we had our first, uh, our son, Caden. And so mm-hmm. we look back really fondly on that time. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of good friends in the area who we were close to couples and a lot of fun times with friends and we love games. So played <laughs> well, a lot of games. Lots of game nights. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We love games too. Well, we have something else in common, which is that we both suffered with loss of kids and, uh, and that's been a, a big part of our story and our journey. And I know it's been a big part of yours as well. And I wonder if, if one of you could just kind of give us the, the summary of sort of what you've experienced there and, and what that was like for you. Um, so we had a miscarriage a little less than a year ago. It was right at the beginning of the pandemic. But to rewind a little bit with that, um, we also struggled a little bit with secondary infertility. So when Caden was about one and a half or two years, we decided we wanted to try again for another child. And um, it was just a discouraging longer process than we thought it would be. Um, Took us about a year, after about a year and a half, 
Um, I finally got a positive pregnancy test. So for about two days, we thought I was pregnant and we were elated. And then we realized that the test was faulty and that that actually hadn't yeah, happened. False pregnancy test. Yeah, yeah, it was a false positive. So that no. was crushing. <laughs> that was January. That was even before the uh, walking through the miscarriage. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that was hard. January of last year. Yep. And then um, we got pregnant in March, mm -hmm. um, right at the beginning of all the craziness going on with the pandemic. So we were yeah, super... Literally, as the stay-at-home orders were being announced, yeah. we, were, we found out. We were really excited, obviously, super excited. A little, you know, it felt a little daunting with the pandemic and not knowing. And that was just a super crazy time, as it was anyway. But we were super thrilled. Um, and then I had a couple appointments and the first one went fine. And then we came to like the heartbeat appointment where we were supposed to be able to see the heartbeat and we just couldn't find one. And it looked like the baby hadn't developed past um, six weeks of pregnancy. And I was just crushed and it kind of made it double hard because due to all the pandemic protocol and the fact that we had no knowledge that something was wrong, I was there alone. Um, you couldn't come to the appointments or anything. Um, so I was there alone, <laughs> started bawling, you know, <laughs> it was just a really, really hard time. Um, and we weren't sure if we had lost the baby at first. Um, there was a possibility that we were maybe just a little off on our timing and maybe that the baby was um, two weeks just later than we thought. So yeah. we um, spent two weeks praying and waiting and just being trying to be so open handed and trying yeah. to pray to God for the baby being fine and the life of our child, but also just. Yeah. And it was hard to get medical tests too. No pre-pandemic we probably could have figured out pretty quickly but we there were certain you know tests that just weren't available at that time and mm -hmm. it, it was yeah really trying two weeks yeah um, of not knowing yeah. you know if the baby would make it or not and then um it was confirmed that yeah we had lost the baby but I hadn't miscarried yet that happened probably about two weeks later so um that was just a super isolating time. We were at home, <laughs> you know, everyone was at home, no one was going anywhere and just kind of felt like we were on this island of grief and loss and everything that the infertility and the false positive pregnancy test, all of it just kind of added up to feel like this huge, I don't know, I felt so hurt by God from it. And I felt so alone and isolated and just felt like he didn't care about me at that point. Yeah. yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit more, kind of what you were going through spiritually at that time and, and you, how your relationship with God was impacted? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think for both of us, if I can jump in, it, w it was just really hard. Um, I think for me and my relationship with God, I was not very comfortable expressing anger or frustration or, or hurt. And I, I think I've been pretty blessed up into that time to not walk through a really major thing where I felt like I needed to. And so there was simultaneously this, this just this massive anger and frustration at God that, that really for me felt so threatening that I wondered, gosh, can, can this level of anger exist like in my relationship with God? I didn't 
like doubt Christianity intellectually, but emotionally and personally, I was just like, gosh, I'm not sure if I, I was so mad at God. And um, I think we both kind of experienced that in, in different ways and in different places. But yeah, it was um, just the amount and the weight of anger that I felt was really intense for me. Mm-hmm. And you had to shut it down a little bit at first too. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I think that was another thing for me is like we so, because it was just a bit of a lengthy process and that was one of the things that surprised me is how just how long it was kind of to walk through this Um kind of just entered into survival mode for a while and I think all that anger instead of um, being shared with others or with God just sort of got pushed down just so that we could just kind of go into survival mode and make it through each day. Um, Amber was so a couple months in well maybe about two months in Amber gave me this really just gracious kind invitation just to say hey Andrew like you can be real with this like you need to be real with God about this you can be real with me about it it was just exactly what I needed um it was like kind of a challenge but a very loving challenge just to like open up with how I was really doing but I think that part of it was I was falling apart (laughs) and we had a three-year-old at home that you were really just trying to take care of both of us and help us both. But for me, um, I had been through, I mean, we've both been through hard things in life. It wasn't the first, I think it's probably definitely been the hardest for sure. But, um, I just, I became a Christian really young and, I never really allowed myself after that time to struggle with God or grapple with God. I just kind of knew, I don't know, maybe what was what I thought other people expected of me. And if I did struggle with God, it was a very internal thing Mm -hmm. to the point of maybe not even knowing I was doing it. I would kind of either push it down or... I would journal about it once and then just be done and not really actually battle it out with God, just kind of decide to let it go. Um, And that's not healthy. (laughs) Um, And then I think that I would maybe share with one or two people that I was struggling, but not with anyone else. I would kind of put on a face and just kind of keep smiling and keep going through life. And I think for me, this was the first time where it just broke me so deeply that I couldn't do it. I had no energy. I couldn't put on a mask. I couldn't pretend like I was okay. I couldn't tell people what I thought they wanted to hear. I just, for the first time, had to be truly honest and vulnerable and authentic about where I was. And I was not in a good place. I was struggling and it was probably also all the pent-up struggles of the other things that I hadn't entirely worked through in my head. Um, Mm. But I really did give myself permission to struggle with God majorly, just majorly. And um, had a lot of friends who I was able to be super honest with and who walked through that with us. And that was such a healing thing ultimately for me and such a good thing. I think it was scary for me to open up, open up to God struggling that deeply. I think it just felt so much safer to sort of keep it in the emotional shallows. Um, but I'm so glad that we did because there, there's a, a space of meeting each other and meeting God and, and the depths of all that mm-hmm. happened that was really 
important for us personally and just our stories and our journeys. And um, that I, yeah, that, that I wouldn't have wanted to miss out on meeting God kind of in that place. Mm. So it was, as hard as it was. And I feel That's like point. God met us in that place too. It took a while for me to hear him. And that's another reason I was angry. (laughs) Thought I should hear something right away or get a message right away from him because this awful life altering thing had just happened. And, um, but I didn't. And I realized that God was giving me space to actually be angry and to actually grieve and to actually be real. And that if he would have just swooped in right away it wouldn't have been much different from the other times when I wouldn't have dealt with it anyway. So he was giving me the chance to deal with it and giving me the chance to be angry and hurt. And, um, and we needed that. I I think, I think anyone who walks, who walks through, you know, this kind of trial needs that. So. Although it does hit everybody differently. Yeah, that's true. Thanks for sharing all of that. I totally resonate with that because with Jenny and I losing twins as well um, a few years ago, uh, it was such a challenging time of wrestling with God and trying to just trying to figure out where he was at in all of it. And it really did take time. And I think you make such a, a good point there about how if God just swoops in all of a sudden and makes everything better right away, which is what we want, right? We want the next day to pray and just have it go away or just at least feel better about all of it. And that's not how he works. He, he gives us space, like you say, to grow in those moments and to learn to trust in him and rely on him and rely on each other as well. Um, he designed us to do this in community together. And the, I think one of the most devastating things about what you experienced, and, and I, I remember um, a, a little bit of, of kind of what was going on back then, just the isolation, the fact that you couldn't see each other like you normally could. And um, I remember standing outside your home at one point and Andrew, you came out and we talked a little bit and it was just so awkward of like, especially at that time, uh, back then, we we still kind of felt like if you if you touch somebody, then you might die the next day. You know, like we were all really really paranoid back then. I think uh, more so than we certainly are now. And it was just such a hard thing because, like, what you probably needed in that moment was was hugs and closeness and in each other's homes together. And the pandemic kept us all apart. Do you think that that made it more difficult for you or was it helpful to kind of have that extra space? I think it made it so hard. I kept telling Andrew over and over, I just need to go be on a friend's couch and cry. Like, that's what I need. I need to go lay on their couch and have them take my child and I just can fall apart and be safe and know that you know, when you're home alone, there's so much pressure of being self-sustaining and doing everything and taking care of all your responsibilities and all your kids. And um, I mean, there are just times when you can't do that and you just have to fall apart and you need community. And I think our community got really creative in ways to come alongside us because we felt so loved, even in the midst of a pandemic. But that was what I missed. I missed hugs. I missed just being in people's spaces and being near them and mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I think we take for granted just the 
just presence and how much, you know, you don't necessarily need an answer in those moments. You just need people with you. And yeah, you, Adam, even what you said, I remember when you came over that night right after it had happened and just wanting to give you a hug, but no, you know, we felt like we had to be 10 feet apart in that moment because all the orders had, you know, just come out and none of us really knew what was happening. And, but the way, I mean, you know, the time you brought dinner and people in our small group, I mean, even just the littlest thing, there was a couple that brought us some strawberries and some gooey <laughs> butter cake. And that's like, that's such a small gesture, but it meant the world to us. And we were having the hardest day. We were both just um, really in a place of just grief and stuff like that. It, it brightened the day just a little bit and just sort of a tangible reminder of like, hey, I'm still with, you know, God saying to us, I'm still with you, don't give up. It's really hard in those times, even having gone through it myself, to know what can you do? You know, it was certainly harder during the pandemic, but like, what is it that's going to show how much we love and care? Do they need more space? Do they need meals? Do they need other things? Can you, since this is a, a still fairly fresh for you, can you share what were some of the things that helped you um, to know that people cared about you beyond what you already shared? W was there anything else that really helped you to move forward, helped you to process, um, just help you to feel the love of people around you? Yeah, definitely. Our small group and our close friends and our family were heroes in that time. Um, I think for me personally, just having people who made space for me as I was falling apart <laughs> in a wreck and filled with grief and who entered that with me was huge because I think a lie I have believed a lot of my life is that I need to have it all together for people to want to be around me. So to be just so vulnerable and so exposed and for them to just sit there with me. I had a lot of friends who I was on the phone and I just started crying and they just started crying and mm. we just cried. And that was so healing. Um, mm. I think the mm. hardest things, I don't know. I think people who are brave enough to enter the grief with us made a huge difference because I think yeah. we're uncomfortable with grief. Christians are uncomfortable yeah. with grief. I'm uncomfortable with it. When yeah. I see someone hurting, my first instinct is to try to help them feel better, right? Try to cheer them up or make them laugh or get their mind off it. But I think I learned during this that there are some things that are just so awful that the best and most loving thing you can do is just sit by a friend and cry and just say that you're there and you're present and that you care. And, yeah, that's so good. And I think too, like we both jumped into counseling. So I met with a counselor and Amber met with a counselor and that really provided just some good, I would say like some good structure for us to walk through this. There was a lot of stuff for me that was just very buried that I didn't realize. And there, there was, there were things that he was helping me see about myself that I, I just never would have gone there without um, a counselor to help so that we connected with that new hope counseling that's part of um i think chesterfield presbyterian church here in st louis and that was just really wonderful and helpful mm -hmm. in a in a deep way for us that's really good advice for anybody that's struggling with loss uh, of a loved one or, or anything like this that can be traumatic and it can stick with you and it can impact you in ways you don't realize and then it can cause you to impact other people in ways you don't intend 
right? It certainly could have an impact on your marriage. It could cause you to have bitterness toward each other. Amber, earlier you mentioned something to me before about the shame that some women will experience. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? Help us to understand what's it like for a woman. Obviously, I can't understand this fully, um, and I don't think Andrew can either. So help us to understand what's it like for a woman to go through this process and the, the shame that she can feel. I think it's so hard. I think that miscarriage is super taboo still in our culture. Um, I think people are afraid to talk about it. They're afraid to mention it. And I think one of the reasons is that it is really easy for moms to feel shame over miscarriage for a lot of different reasons. They blame themselves for it happening. Maybe they didn't eat the right foods or do something right. Or maybe they should have picked up on the signals earlier or when in reality, there, there's really nothing you can do. There's really nothing that, but I think moms internalize that really easily. And um, it's a hard thing to share about. It's, it's a very, um, I don't know, isolating thing. So I think that because of that, a lot of people don't talk about it. And a lot of people don't reach out and a lot of people just go through it kind of suffering silently or they don't give themselves permission um, to yeah. grieve. And that was one of the most helpful things that I heard along the way. Um, actually, Shannon Potter, she was the one who walked through this with me, but she, as soon as we lost the baby for sure, she said, hey, I wanna give you permission to grieve this baby. Um, like you would any other baby that was already born. And that was just what I needed to hear. And that was so healing. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it hits everybody in different ways. And there's no right way to deal with it and no wrong way. But um, I think that shame and how taboo it is in our culture does maybe make it a lot longer for people to heal. Yeah, it does a disservice to people that are struggling with it if they feel like they have to bottle it up and, and can't deal with it in a healthy way. What advice would you have for someone who's wrestling with this right now? Maybe someone who has recently lost a child or, or lost a child a while ago and um, is still just struggling with it and it comes back and, and not that not that you ever fully get over it necessarily. I mean, I, I still remember and think about it. It's, there's still a sad spot for me from, from years ago and I'm sure there will be for you for some time, but what advice would you give to someone who is wrestling with this now or from a past time? Yeah, I think um, for anyone who's listening, who's walking through this, first of all, I'm just, I'm so sorry. We're just, we hurt with you and um, there's, there's no words. It's so painful. It's, it's just hard. And so there's no like kind of magic formula to, to, to make it through. Um, I, I think for husbands, like probably the one encouragement I'd give is just to allow yourself space to hurt and just to ask for help. I think I felt this pressure to kind of go into fix it mode or caring mode and to care for Caden and to care for Amber. And I, I just needed space to, to be real and to hurt and to have my own heart cared for. Um, and I think I also put, had a tendency to want to put a timeline on sort of my own healing and feeling like, okay, you know, at this point I'll sort of have walked this journey. And for me, that wasn't helpful. I needed to just give myself the space to say, hey, this can take a while. And um, 
even in my relationship with God, it can take a while. If I need to keep having the same conversation over and over and over with him, that's okay. Because God is infinite in his patience and his love. And, you know, if my son gets hurt and he needs to tell me about it 10 times, I don't get tired of that, you know? And I, I felt like I, I went to God 50 times, just the exact same conversation. And um, the God is, he, he welcomes that, you know, he cares about us so deeply. And um, so, yeah. I think that I would say, um, be honest with God. He can handle your worst anger. He can handle your falling apart. He can handle it. Um, be honest with him and let him meet you there. I would say that um, Faith 45 is a really neat ministry. Um, it's faith-the-number45.com. And they have miscarriage mentors who for free will walk through this with you. And they're women. They're, it's a Christian ministry. and They're women who have already gone through this and experienced healing and um they'll just call you on the phone if you'd like once a month or write you encouraging letters and it was so helpful for me i was kind of the first one in my friend group um at least that i really knew of to walk through this and it was helpful to have somebody walk through it with me who already had um and then a book that really ministered to me there were a lot that didn't. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I, I, think, I, think, I think it's hard to like, it's a little tricky to find resources as you're it's walking hard, through yeah. this. And we found that some of the places that nor in kind of normal life would be a source of encouragement. It's like, oh, this isn't hitting in the same way. Mm -hmm. um, so. Yeah. One of the books that I love is called Grace Like Scarlet by Adrielle Booker. Um, and I don't know, other people could read it and, and maybe it won't hit where they need it to. And that's fine. But that was the one for me and a sea of books that really helped me. Um, and then, yeah, counseling and just reaching out and letting your community love you, I think. I th uh, one last thought too. I know there can be a tendency to want to pull away from church in crises. And just to be really honest, we felt that like at times it, mm -hmm. you know, when you go to church and worship, you're, you're bringing a lot of like very real stuff in your heart to God. And that can be um, heavy. And so there can be a tendency to sort of want to, want to withdraw a little bit. And I think one of the things that surprised me in, in, in the moments when we did engage um, was just how God used sort of the ordinary ministry of the church to encourage me, whether it was songs or sermons or our small group. Um, and, and there were times where we needed to pull back and have some space. And, and I think sometimes that can be healthy too. But it was so neat just to see like, wow, God uses the everyday ordinary stuff to help people walk through really tough times. So. Well, I can't thank Andrew and Amber enough for just being real with us and sharing about one of the hardest experiences of their lives. After the interview, we talked a little bit about where they're at today on this journey. And many of you may already know this if you know them well, but they're expecting a little girl in May. So please be praying for them. But something they offered afterward was for anyone who may be struggling with a miscarriage loss to reach out to them. Just talking with someone who has been there and understands can be so, so helpful. So if you want to reach out to Andrew, his email is amiller at efree.org and Amber's email is ambervano at gmail.com. Feel free to send them a message if you're hurting for miscarriage and need someone to talk to, someone who can give you some good advice and, and just listen and understand and and cry with you and, and just be there for you. Well, that's it for today. 
Thanks so much for watching or listening. We'll see you next time.